dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. It Save the City Podcast, Episode 5. This week we're covering Flash, Season 2, Episode 5, The Darkness and the Light, written by Ben Sokolowski and Groinia Godfrey, and directed by Stephen Schill. Uh, we're also covering Arrow, Season 4, Episode 5, Haunted, written by Brian Ford Sullivan and Oscar Balderrama, and directed by John Batum. Might have a little bit of Supergirl talk uh, a little bit later in the episode, but not until after we talk about these two episodes because my co-host this week hasn't seen the Supergirl yet, and I don't want to spoil her, but we welcome from Simon's Cake Podcast, Camille. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? I am doing well. Just a reminder, folks, Save the City podcast.wordpress.com is your one-stop shop for all things regarding this podcast, including contacting us with any feedback that you might have. Feel free to drop us a line, Save the City podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at Save the City Pod, or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. With that, why don't we go ahead and start talking about Flash? I guess the big topic of discussion for us, Camille, should probably be the return of Harrison. We've got a full episode with Harrison Wells' uh, Earth 2 version. Um, what were your impressions of the difference between him and the uh, the Thawne, I guess, impersonation of Harrison last year? Um, he is, at least this version of um, Harrison, is a lot, more, it's a lot more blunt and a little more kind of like rough around the edges you know he's he's very to the point and this whole like we believe in you and believe in yourself type of mentality is is definitely not with this Harrison it's it's like here are the facts here are the things I know can be calculated here's what is actually going to happen or what can happen and it's um it's interesting it's I think it's something that the group hasn't had to deal with hardly ever in their little circle so it's kind of nice to have a totally different um I guess, a way of doing things and thinking in the group. So I'm very interested to see how it affects, you know, people like Barry or Cisco who have had this kind of relationship with Wells and it was just completely crushed with the old Wells. So um, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, it's, it's a little jarring at first how different he is, but I think it, it'll, it'll play a big role in things later. So I'm, I'm all for it, honestly. Yeah, I love how uh, the writers and Tom Cavanaugh has, has taken our preconceptions about anything that might even be remotely tied to the Harrison Wells of our world, like even before Thawne came back and, and killed him and mm-hmm. took his body. I, I love how all of those preconceived notions are now just totally flipped on their head. Like Cisco says in this episode, um, <laughs> maybe the old the old version of Wells was evil, but this guy is just a dick. Yeah. And, and I, I love how you brought up the fact that, you know, he, he's just about what I can calculate, what we know, what we don't know. He seems very much more the scientist than mm-hmm. the old the old Wells ever did. So I love that. Um, the whole conflict between him and Jay Garrick intrigued me a little bit. I mean, they're, they're both coming from different sides of the view. And I don't know which, you know, Wells made Garrick seem a little bit scaredy cat this episode. And, and yeah. 
I didn't really get a whole lot from Jay that that refuted that. Um, even though at the end, you know, he's like, if you place your trust in this guy's hands, I can't be here. That almost kind of played into exactly what Harrison was saying. So I don't know what kind of dynamic they're trying to build there, but it it just seems to me that um, those two aren't going to get along at all. And that's tough for Caitlin, I guess. Poor Caitlin. She's always getting left by her man. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is between like the, the old or what is it? Earth two flash, you know, like, he did seem like a, a huge, like, kind of scaredy cat, and I was very surprised at that. But it kind of makes sense, you know, just the hesitation of going back to Earth 2. And, you know, with Wells, I'm wondering, you know, if there is some kind of, like, some weird competition between the two. Because you even seen, I think, in a past episode, there was some weird conflict between them. Or maybe it was the beginning of this episode, but, like, it was very clear that these two weren't very buddy buddy, and I just um, I'm wondering what does that have to do necessarily with like what's happened, and they're they both have very different opinions on um, the big bad to um, Zoom, right? So like they they both have very different opinions on this guy, so it makes me wonder like who really knows and who really is just kind of speculating because it seems like Wells has a good idea of the who's and what's, but at the same time, like, you know, can he be trusted? There's all of that. So, um, and it's, it's interesting how they're playing on that. Cause they, they really did kind of bring down this other flash. Like this guy's, uh, is just, he runs away from things, you know, where Barry runs too. And it was just an interesting kind of like comparison as to who flashes versus who earth two flashes. And then you think, well, look at Harrison Wells. He was, the Harrison Wells from Earth 2 is totally different and a lot more, you know, brash and, and blunt, if you will. And then you think about the Harrison Wells before um, he was taken over by Thawne. He's, he was a totally nice kind of like kind of romantic, homely guy. So it just it, they're definitely hitting on these like kind of polar opposites, at least in this Earth 2. You're dealing with these kind of opposite characters and, and their counterparts, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What did you make of the fact that Harrison is following uh, Barry and and Caitlin and and Cisco around and kind of spying in on them at the end of the episode? Does that point to something nefarious, or do you think it's just his suspicion? I, I have no idea. I was actually very confused during that whole scene. Like, I didn't know if he was trying to learn more about them, if he was trying to maybe get some insight into who they are or if it's just some weird like because this guy was sneaking around he broke into that one lady's office before he he met up with Mm -hmm. or you know seen flash he obviously knew who flash was and i just think it i think it's kind of telling that in some way this guy obviously has some tricks up his sleeve but to what extent you know it's it's a matter of like when these secrets will be will be revealed so Right. I, I honestly was very like, well, what is going on? Kind of confused <laughs> during those scenes. So I'm not entirely sure what I would make of it. But, you know, the obvious is there are secrets there and he's he's collecting data some way. Yeah. Collecting data so he can uh, put it into an equation and figure out what to do next. <laughs> Yeah, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can I talk about the CW mandate for just a second? Yeah. And how... Uh, we've been talking about this, uh, ever since we started talking about Flash and Arrow on the, on the, uh, Once in a Blue Moon podcast that we both do with Donald. 
it I just I cannot stand the CW mandate. And while I love I love the idea of Barry and Patty being together, guess what? Tumblr has a name for that. Oh god. Batty. Oh man. Yeah, is that like terrible? <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Batty, which is exactly what this is. It's to me, it's exactly what the showrunners are, are doing. What they're doing is Batty because all this does is there's going to be a time somewhere down the line where Iris is going to decide that she does like Barry, even after all of the ridiculousness of her pushing Barry towards Patty. This episode, yeah. um, you know, it's just gonna it's gonna cave into this terrible love triangle thing. I hope they don't spend too much time on it. I'm just about predicting that it's going to be a three-episode arc of nothing but pain and sorrow for everybody involved, right. um, which which will be, you know, that'll I guess that will keep uh, the shippers uh, happy and unhappy at the same time like they like to be. But for me, if Iris is really going to be over Barry, then it just seemed a little too quick to me yeah. to do that. Absolutely. And I totally feel that way with the whole like Caitlin and Flash too. Like what the hell is that? Like I, I don't it, for me that that type of writing or, you know, just the mandate, if you will, is so frustrating because you have Caitlin who was mopey for the majority of season one about her lost boyfriend fiance. She gets him back, marries him, and then he's gone again. And now she's jumping on to some other dude. Like I just I hate that. I hate it so much. And and yeah, like it's only a matter of time before something happens with Patty or she gets killed or, you know, Iris decides, oh, I think I want to be with Barry again. And it's just it it causes this unnecessary kind of like tension there. And and I feel like it takes away from what they're building. I mean, so far it's been so it's been pretty consistent with, you know, not having too much you know, hard hitting like love stories. And now that they're involving this, like, well, Barry had his date with this girl. Now things are going to start to get complicated. And it's like, why does it always have to be complicated? You know, <laughs> there was all kinds of weird things with Barry. I mean, he's got every X in the book. Uh, and, yeah. and, and Patty, too. It's like Linda Park is back. Uh, he's got uh, the whole bit about Patty going on, and and, and their date was cute. I mean, I'm not going to say that you know it wasn't fun. I I love it, but it's it just that we have that newspaper clipping, like Donald mentioned last week. We have that we have that newspaper headline from the future, right? I, it, right. It, and nobody's talking about that. You know, it it's just weird. Um, I I I can see maybe why Iris wouldn't be in a position to talk about it yet. Um, but at the same time, then you have Caitlin, who is totally ready to move on. Like you just said, it just seems it just seems just kind of convenient to kind of create these situations that I'm not really a big fan of. I do understand that some fans are and that's perfectly cool. You know, I, I don't condemn anybody that has that. It's just uh, I'm kind of become a shipper hater, I guess, yeah. uh, in a way. I'm definitely there, too, though, with with this show specifically, because they've. They've burnt out every single candle they've cut last season. And I'm like, all right, calm down with it, man. Please, <laughs> like, don't don't continue this. I, I am a Cisco Lisa Snart shipper <laughs> just yeah. because it's the most <laughs> unlikely thing. Yeah, right. But that even seems to be thrown to the wind now with Cisco because he's like, you know, he's going to go out on this date with this other girl from the coffee shop. Right, and, right. And uh, that's kind of interesting, I guess. Most interesting about Cisco is the fact that he revealed his powers uh, to everybody, only because uh, it was funny that Wells had to be the one to call him out on it with his neat little tech. Yeah. But uh, 
Now he's got the name Vibe, so we all know who he is in the comics now, I guess. And how did you feel about the reveal and, and the way everybody just kind of seemingly accepted it? Was that okay for you? It was okay. It was okay for me mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they've been dealing with metahumans for over a year now. So right. I guess it's not that big of a deal. But in terms of the reveal of his powers and how it took longer to manifest itself and then for them to finally learn, um, did you feel okay with that arc for Cisco? Yeah, I mean, it's. I was hoping he would have enough confidence to tell his friends. So it kind of sucked that Wells had to call him out on it. But yeah. um, the tough love with Wells, you know, to you know, kind of pushing him over the edge to learn his powers and not giving him that comfort space, like, no, you need to do this. You you can do this. And I kind of liked that that aggressive kind of. Like I said, it's just that that kind of aggressive overtone in the group that hasn't ever been there and i like how it's it's gonna push them to the next level whether it's you know for the best or for the worst it's it's gonna take them to new places and like for that example you know it made cisco realize he does have control over it so i'm I'm excited to see like how that kind of plays out into it and and i think as far as how he's gonna manage it i think it's gonna be fun to see you know more of that kind of push and pull with wells and everyone else so yeah, yeah, absolutely. What else about this episode comes to mind for you? I, I really enjoyed the uh, the scene, the date scene with Spivet. Is that her name? Spivet and uh, Barry. Um, that was unbelievably adorable, even if, you know, there were some weird things going on. And I just thought it was, I had a blast watching Cisco kind of like, you know, trail him through kind of tell him things about it like oh your dress is nice or whatever you look really beautiful and just like it it was um it was a very great moment for me like those are the type of moments that make me appreciate Cisco more than I already do and it was it was a really really fun little scene to watch um definitely wanted to kind of give that a shout out because it was it was good yeah, I love Cisco. Go at one point, he's just like, "Oh, you got this, man." Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Barry, my man." You know, he's like. Someone I was watching with the show said he's the best and he's the best wingman. You know, Cisco's your best wingman. Yeah. Yeah, it was good, though. I really liked that scene. Um, and one thing I kind of wanted to bring up on, on Spivet was like, I think she's a great character. I just feel like she's very conveniently put in into Barry's life. Like, what if she's another meta from Earth 2 and she's been specifically sent there to kind of like infiltrate him and get him all like googly eyed with her and then you find out like she's the bad guy like that would be something messed up but awesome yeah but yeah i just feel like she's so conveniently there so who knows who knows how it'll play out right on well it would she could be the conveniently there for both purposes i like that idea of her being a a, a bad guy i mean yeah. i don't I, I i like patty so i don't really want her to be a bad guy but yeah, the same. idea of that the idea of that is awesome. I would love and that. And it would even bring back the whole, like, you know, um, Barry and uh, Iris being together. Because that is the thing that no one's really talking about, which is, it is very true. So, you know, she could be playing him all along. And that would be pretty fun to watch unveil if, if that's how they're kind of playing her character. So I'm, I'm interested. I, I was like, that's a cool theory. I just don't know how well that'll hold up later. But you never know. The show is had a lot of surprises so far. Right on. I, I will just point out uh, 
Grant Gustin, the the actor who plays Barry, he did a really good job in that in that uh, date scene. You know, bumping yeah. into things. It was just the right amount of comedic flair. Um, also, just in terms of Barry himself, it's really interesting to see that. You know, you have Jay here who has zero faith in Harrison. You have Harrison who has zero faith in in Jay. Uh, and yet Barry isn't really swayed one way or the other. He has, mm-hmm. by the end of the episode, he has, still has 100% faith in, in Flash 2 uh, or Earth 2 Flash. He still has 100% faith in Wells. I really found it surprising that he, out of all of these people who were so suspicious of Wells, he's the one who accepts Wells right off the bat also. Yeah, yeah, same here. I I was a little surprised overall to see them not so combative altogether. I mean, I think Cisco is the only one who is still very anti-Wells, um, which, you know, he has his rights, but I, I definitely thought it was weird as well that, like, no one really fought it too hard, you know, except for Joe. Yeah. Joe's reaction was hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah. I love Joe. Joe's so great. <laughs> what do you think? Of, I mean, the fact that he gave that gun to Iris really to protect her from from Wells uh, ended up saving uh, Linda Park's life. Yeah, you're right. Iris is like one of these. I mean, she's a good shooter. She's being like super, super, almost too much mature <laughs> lately. You know? Yeah, especially from last season too. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about all the stuff that's been dumped on her head uh, just in the last couple of episodes. Her mom's still alive. She's got a brother, <laughs> you know, uh, and and now Barry's going out on a date. I mean, she's handling it all really well, which is awesome um, to me. We'll have to see how that uh, plays out later on. Like I said, there's bound to be something happened later down to create trouble with that. But right. I'm glad that I'm glad they're avoiding it for right now. I, I like Iris a lot better this season than last season. Me too. She's she's just so much, you know, more together. And as you said, very mature about what's happening. And I think, you know, Eddie's death maybe kind of pushed her in a spot where she was like, you need to deal with these things and be a little more together about what's happening around you. Um, it, it could be, but even if it's not, it is it is refreshing to see a character I don't like one season and see her growing. And that's always the plus of, of having development with characters like that. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that at least at this point in time, like I don't hate her. I don't hate seeing her on screen. It's, it's more of a, Oh, what's, what's going to happen now? This is interesting. Not just the kind of like, Oh God, I want this to be over. Like, I like, I like being able to appreciate what she's doing on, on screen now, opposed to just kind of eye rolling, you know? Exactly. Anything else on Flash, or should we move on to Arrow? I think that's that's good. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about Arrow. And I guess the big headlines there is we seemingly have Sarah semi back to normal, and that's thanks to an appearance by John Constantine. Now, Camille, you and I both talked before we started recording that you know neither of us really saw the entire series that was on NBC last year of Constantine. Um, I know that a lot of fans were super excited to see him in this episode. Um, my only impression of Constantine before this episode was really the pilot of Constantine last year, which I did really enjoy. Um, but since I'm into Supernatural, I didn't really think too much 
uh, about Constantine Beyond it being NBC's version of that, and I kind of let it go. And now I wish I hadn't because I, I really enjoyed him in this episode. How about you? Yeah, he was, I mean, I definitely am thinking about going back and, and checking out the show itself because I, I really um, enjoyed just his character. He was obviously a character, you know, he he brought this kind of uh, charisma to the screen and his little quirky just go, the things he would say, things he would do, how he'd go about doing stuff was obviously like, this is a person, this is a character, this is something, you know. And you can always tell when you have just kind of like these random people show up on screen like, oh, that's someone for background. But this guy was obviously a star in something, you know, and just just that that mentality of like, oh, this guy is something special. It's like I want to see him in his element. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but he he did a great job. I, I liked watching him. His he was very, uh, <laughs> very entertaining, to say the least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's nice to know. Because I was trying to to figure out, um, I, I know we got the introduction of him in the flashback, but I had seen the previews and I was just thinking, thinking how would these two guys even know each other? And yeah. so it makes sense that they, they met on the island. Um, and that brings a whole new aspect to the island uh, story, I guess, this whole mystical thing. And we kind of heard, it was kind of interesting, uh, I think Donald and I talked about it last week, how... When Oliver said, you know, there are magical, mystical things that the world doesn't know, pretty much in the first episode about Damien Dark, uh, and then we instantly went to the island flashback, um, it seemed that that was definitely going to be connected, but uh, I don't have any idea how it's all going to tie into Damien Dark. It has to somehow, yeah. and it's got it's to tie into um, this whole magical stuff, I guess, in general. Um Still makes me think about what Damien Dark's got in that box from yeah, last week's episode. It's weird because, I mean, it sucks to say it, but unfortunately I think the island is going to, like the flashback island things are going to play a bigger role in what story they're going to tell with Damien Dark. Because, of course, you know, it's always this like, oh, the island problem ended up in, you know, <laughs> in, in Central City or wherever. Um so it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that's coming there. But um, a lot of it is kind of revolved around this power thing that Damien Dark has. And since they're obviously introducing it with um, with Constantine, it's, it's very it's very uh, I think it's going to play a more continuous like role in, in the island story with magic, I think, though. Um, but it's it's weird because I I didn't really appreciate any of the island stuff until now because I'm like, oh. This is probably the best way to introduce new characters or new concepts without having to be like, oh, it's not canon because we didn't see it. You know what I mean? Right. Because there's so much there's so much stuff on the island that we don't really know. And to have it still tie in so it doesn't like just seem shoehorned into the actual timeline and the actual story that's happening with Oliver. It's it's uh, it's a clever way. I will give him that. This is the first time I've actually like realized that. There is some cleverness to like the the Highland stories, I guess. It does serve its purpose for stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I think that they're just doing it better this year than they have. Uh, yeah, especially better than last year. Last year just um, seemed like it was all a build up for one kind of emotional ending near the finale. So yeah, it didn't seem nearly as uh, poignant as uh, or not nearly as plot driven as this one seems to be. 
obviously to me a big theme about this episode is just everybody coming clean. You've got Felicity yep. coming clean with Oliver about the Ray message. You've got uh, Thea coming clean with Laura about killing Sarah, which that was a shock. I want to talk about more about that in a minute. You got Thea coming clean about the bloodlust in Merlin with Oliver. You've got Lance having to come clean a second time, this time with Diggle, um, about uh, what his involvement with Damian Dark. And then he has to give the answers of, about Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, everything uh, is is just about people dispelling all the lies. And I really like that because now it kind of levels the playing, the, the playing field a little bit. There's, there's not nearly as many secrets. I guess Oliver's still kind of holding the mysterious power secret a little bit from everybody, but we're getting that in the flashbacks. Um, but it, it still, it feels, it feels like, um, when everybody's on a level playing field, then we can move on. Right. And as far, as far as Laurel goes, um, when she stood up, when Thea told her about, uh, uh, about, uh, the whole killing Sarah thing, because I think that she admitted it to, um, Nisa, but I don't think that Laurel knew. And there was that moment there where I thought, what's Laurel going to do? Um, but I really came out of this episode, even though I don't, particularly like Laurel with her thought process sometimes I did kind of see her side of it and I came out liking her better this episode than I had before so what do you think I was like all over the place this episode I was was very um I guess it was the best ways to describe it would be like bitter about all these secrets and all that and and Laurel did bring up a great point to Oliver just you know you're always lying and hiding stuff and what made you saving your sister okay but me not what makes it wrong for me to save my sister or to you know bring her back when you basically did the same thing to your sister and it's like oh i guess that's a big taste of you know your own medicine so to speak (laughs) or or, yeah it's it's um it definitely brought up that kind of like you know there's a lot of hypocrisy here between oliver and keeping secrets and i am glad that laurel brought it up and i mean I hope I hope from like I hope what this does is leave some kind of I guess like some kind of game changing situation with like Laurel and even the group like everyone had all these secrets and and you're right a lot of this episode's theme is coming clean about stuff and I what I hope is that or Laurel and everyone else in the group takes away from this is that these people are going to help you your your group is here to help you and to be so close to people, but to constantly lie or to withhold information that could help you or help someone else. Like you have this support group, use it, you know, don't continue to hide stuff because it makes, you know, the result of whatever happened or whatever was hidden so much more worse when things backfire. And I'm, I'm really hoping a lot of this can be played out later where there isn't so many secrets. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I would like to see them all going forward, being on the same footing, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And and I think that that was kind of the purpose of all, you know, dumping all of this stuff into into a single episode rather than stringing it out. Uh, Hopefully it's so that that can happen for sure. But the question that I have is now that Sarah is back, is Thea out of danger? Um, because I'm assuming the restoration of Sarah's soul happened and the fact that uh, they made sure to point out the difference of the fact that Thea wasn't dead, but Sarah was. 
Um, maybe that bringing her soul back destroys the bloodlust within Sarah. I'm still not really sure if that's completely correct. Um, but I do know that Thea still has the bloodlust in her. Merlin said that it would only temporarily satisfy her bloodlust if she killed a couple guys. So that's definitely got to come back up for Thea at, at some point. And I just, I hate to think of this, um, thing with the flash forward. Uh, do you think that her name's now not to be put on that gravestone? Or I even have this nightmare scenario where her bloodlust takes her over and, um, maybe Oliver has to put Thea down. Wouldn't that be terrible? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to know because, yeah, Merlin was saying there there is this thing that's never going to go away and it'll be a temporary fix. So it makes me wonder if Thea's going to lose it or if Sarah does end up putting Sarah, or if Sarah ends up putting Thea down because I still think it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't think that we're done with that yet with Sarah, though. Like, I think there will be like maybe glitches or something and. And her still coming back or she's still in recovery. So maybe she'll snap in and out of this kind of like mentality of like, I want to kill. I don't, you know what I mean? Right. Because even even Thea, Thea has her soul and all that, but she still has this lust to kill. And I think that that would apply, I'm assuming, would still apply to, you know, Sarah as well. So it's just a matter of, you know, how they want to go about that because they haven't really explained the rules to the audience, I think. So, right. All they've done is point out that there's a difference, and I don't know if that... But we don't, like you said, that doesn't necessarily mean the difference uh, has any difference in the ramifications of of the bloodlust, for sure. Um, There is one tomato that I have. As you know, I folks, I I like to point out little nitpicky things, but here, here was the one that I got. They build up to where they can catch Sarah because of this Sarah Thea connection to the pit. But if they did that, then why was Sarah seeking other girls that didn't look like Thea in the first place? Wouldn't she have just ignored them? Right. That was, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I mean, maybe it gets stronger. She comes more to consciousness, you know, we're coming more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being healed or and more of an actual mindset. But, yeah, that is kind of weird that she went for people that weren't Thea, but... Maybe the connection grew, you know, and got stronger. She was still healing and kind of realizing where she was. But that is a good point. <laughs> well, and and I think you make a good point, too, because remember that uh, Sarah was attacking uh, Laurel and, and right. uh, even her dad at the beginning. Um, so she was just kind of randomly going after people. Maybe this is a process. I, I like I like that you brought that up because I was just really going to dog this episode for that. But now <laughs> now you've put enough doubt in my mind that I won't. <laughs> right. Yeah, she was pretty crazy right away. So, I mean, she had to shake off that cray. <laughs> she had to shake off the cray, right? On What else about this episode? Um, so we we get the reveal of Dig and his brother and... Um, I'm wondering how that will affect Diggle with knowing the truth about his brother being involved in drugs and all that, whatnot. Um, How's that going to change what he will do going forward? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then Dark, Damien Dark, it's just anytime the name gets brought up, there's this whole like kind of shiver that the characters kind of give off and they're just like, well, good luck with that, you know, or get out of town or 
you know, like it, it, and they're even leaving hints with Damien even saying like, it's not like the town is going to explode or something like that. Or so I'm wondering how much this guy has planned for, for the city. Cause everyone who reacts to his name never has a good reaction. Um, yeah. It's a lot of buildup for him, obviously, but I'm, I'm very, very curious to see what he can do and why he's going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was really surprised that he took the time to even answer Lance's question. I guess yeah. we needed to have it just for the sake of the episode. And I feel bad. I feel bad for Diggle finding this out about his brother. Uh, and it seems legit. Lance seems to think it's legit. So right. I, I don't guess this is something that Dark's just trying to plant in order to throw everybody off the trail. Um, it, but because he had a, a different hard copy file. and But I don't know who supplied that to Lance. Was it right. Dark that supplied that or did Lance go find it on his own? I don't know. But I was wondering, too, because I'm like, how did you even get this? Because they didn't at least I don't think they showed that on the up in the actual episode. Exactly. So. Another little just uh, mini mystery. That's one thing about Arrow. They they place these little mini mysteries and then they wrap them up usually pretty quickly. And I don't know if it, Lance saying it's legit was the was the answer or if 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 it isn't, then we'll definitely get it pretty quick. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see the Felicity Curtis stuff. Did you find that uh, entertaining at all? Um. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I I really like that guy. It's funny because he's literally like a male version of Felicity. Um, yeah. Just the characteristics and the fast talking, whatever. But um, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with, uh, well, just not just with Felicity and, and that guy, but with uh, Ray as well, because they're getting closer to revealing like where he is or what happened to him. And um. I don't think anything will come up, and I really hope nothing will come up, but I'm worried that if they do bring Ray back into the show, even if it's temporary, it's going to cause this whole mandate, as you say, um, between Ray and Felicity and Ollie again. And I cannot... Oh, my goodness. Like, I I was really upset with how they kind of wrote um, Felicity's character at the end of last season. Um, and I was not buying any of that love triangle for a second. And I'm really worried that they're going to bring him back just to make her kind of question her relationship with Oliver. And then Oliver never proposes. And then that's never going to happen. And I'm just I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an Elicity person? Yes, I love them so much together. And I'm going to be so mad at that show if they like destroy it with Ray coming back, even if it's for an episode. And then she's just like questioning it you know i it'll destroy me oh <laughs> well what what if she it does destroy her for like an episode but then she comes back to sanity and and chooses oliver will you I be will, okay i will be very very pleased but still upset that they tore my heart out for a second <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. yeah just kind of like cisco asking that girl out on the date tore my heart out because yeah it just uh, a Snisco shipper. Is that what you call him? Snisco. That would be right. I could do that. Uh, anything else about this episode? Um, I think that's all I have. Right on. Well, why don't we try and give these uh, a rating on a scale of one to ten uh, for these episodes? I hate to put you on the spot like that, but if you can. <laughs> um, I would say for Flash... I'd give it a seven because it definitely had some good stuff there, but it wasn't necessarily the most like mind blowing kind of episode. And 
there were things happening with characters I didn't really care about, you know, like it's it sucks it happened to that Linda character, is that her name? Yeah. Linda yeah, Park. like it sucks it happened to her, but I don't really care about her character, nor do I really care about um what's going on with like Flash. Like I don't really like that Flash guy. That character is whatever to me. The second Flash, but um yeah. him and Snow that really brought some of the quality of the episode down. But then like the whole thing with Cisco is really good, so um I'd say a seven overall for Flash this week. And then Arrow, I'd definitely give it like an eight or nine. Um, I was really into it and brought a lot of interesting things, not just with the story itself, but how they're writing the story into perspectives. So um, gave me some insight, I think, a little bit with how they're telling the story and how they can use the you know island thing to an advantage. And I, I like that, at least my theory on it, at least. Um, right on. Seven and eight. All right. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go a little higher than you. I'm going to go eight for The Flash. Just I, I think the uh, Barry-Patty date scene raised it for me so much. that uh, And, and uh, having a full episode of Tom Cavanaugh as the new Harrison Wells. Um, love that. And I'm going to go like 8.8, uh, close to the nines, but not quite a nine for the, uh, for the Arrow uh, one thing I forgot to ask you, though, about the Flash is Harrison Wells, evidently, Earth 2 Harrison Wells, has a daughter. Oh, yeah. And she's kidnapped or something like that now. Yeah. Um, and it's weird, too, because that dude, uh, they didn't really reveal who this, like, black Flash guy is. I don't know what to call him, because... That's Zoom, yeah. That's Zoom. Okay, yeah, this is Zoom guy. Like, he clearly knew that Wells was gone, and he took his daughter, and it's like, does Wells even know nor care about what's going to happen to his daughter now that he's not there? Like, why didn't he take her with? Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't help but feel like perhaps this is part of, you know, maybe Harrison does know that Zoom has his daughter, and he's, he's calculating how he can get these people from this earth to, to fight Zoom so that he can get his daughter back. Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe he knew this was probably going to happen, so, you know kind of play play it at both ends because he has something in, at stake right it's a, a whole darkness lightness thing that's hard to comprehend and actually i just wanted to also say thea was very dark this episode very regretful of what she's done very um well to the point where she was going to let sarah kill her in order to help sarah and i really love how that testifies to uh, thea and laurel's friendship in the way that not only did Laurel not want to strangle Thea for killing Sarah in the first place, but also that Thea is was pretty much sticking up for Laurel from beginning to end of this episode. I like the development of that friendship that I really didn't expect to see. But that's my final little wrap-up on stuff. I hope I haven't forgotten anything else. Let's get the feedback next with an interesting theory. feedback your thoughts on this week's episodes we have an email from someone from another podcast at michael underscore aaron on twitter who basically uh has a theory about harrison wells as well if you want to hear that yeah at michael underscore aaron on twitter sent an email he is the host of the mightiest cast which also covers flesh and arrow uh, episode five of Flash is easily my favorite episode of the season so far. I thought it was the funniest episode of the entire series, and I felt that if the show zoomed in its focus, p- 
pun intended, on what I like to call plot A. I care about Wells, Jay Garrick, Earth 2, Zoom, and all that cool science-y stuff revolving around the multiple universes and time travel. That's plot A. I consider all the other plots, Iris and her mom, Professor Stein, etc., to be like planets revolving around that sun that is plot A. When the Flash focuses on the subplots and ignores plot A, as it did last week, it's like the planets meandering around without a gravitational pull. So I was glad we got a heavy dose of all things that I think make the Flash great. I have a theory. When I have a theory, I like to get it out as quickly as possible so that I can bury the internet in I told you so's. <laughs> My theory is this. I think that Earth 2 Barry Allen is Zoom, and the Earth 2 versions of Cisco and Caitlin are Vibe and Killer Frost, respectively. And I think that they are Zoom's quote-unquote sidekicks, if you will. Jay asserted that Wells created Zoom, and Wells admitted to this. That means that Wells could theoretically know who Zoom is, and this would explain why the episode ended up with him watching Barry, Cisco, and Caitlin so intensely at the coffee shop. He is watching three people who are evil in this world, and possibly responsible for the kidnapping of his daughter, with the same hatred that all of Team Flash on Earth-1 feels when they see him. It's an interesting parallel and can make for... A great confrontational battle later. Thanks very much at Michael underscore Aaron on Twitter from the Mightiest Cast, which you can find I know on SoundCloud. I don't know if it's on iTunes yet, but check it out, folks. What do you think of his theory, Camille? Oh, I think that that's probably it. Honestly, I mean, it, it goes well with uh, what I was saying to you about how everyone's the opposite of themselves in Earth too. So, all right how everyone seems to be very much the counterparts and their opposites or, or, you know, their opposites are their counterparts. Like, I think that's, that is a big part to play. If this dude's theory holds up, I mean, it just makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I also feel that if we go down that route, it would make a lot of sense why Harrison Wells is maybe like spending so much of this time sneaking around and spying on the group um, just cause maybe he'll find a weakness and he can expose it in earth too, if he were to try and go that route, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Camille, it's been great having you on. I'm going to have a little bit of Supergirl talk after the end music of this episode, for those of you who don't watch Supergirl so that you can just, uh, get to the end of the podcast. But, uh, thanks for joining me once again. You are of course a staple in the once in a blue moon podcast that we do with Donald and you have your own podcast, Simon's cake. Why don't you tell people about that so they can check you out? Yeah, it's um, it's basically just a video game podcast. We play, you know, whichever game that we decide to play, and then we spend that episode talking about pros, cons, good things that we liked about the game. Um, we're always looking for new listeners and new potential guests. If you have any interest, um, you can find that podcast at Simon's Cake on Twitter. And, you know, we're on WordPress, all that. Just type in Simon's Cake Games, and we should come up, or podcast, whichever um, either or is usually attached to the name, though. Um, but yeah, we just talk about video games. And if you are or have any interest in video games or play, you should check it out. And if people want to talk to you about uh, Flash or Arrow, how do they find you that way? You can find my uh, personal Twitter account at Lady Oddity. And it's, um, yeah, that's it. Just hit me up, send me some messages, let me know what's going on in your TV world. <laughs> 
Great. And as for this podcast, at Save This City Pod on Twitter, Save This City Podcast at gmail.com or 314 669 1840. We love hearing great theories like at Michael underscore Aaron's on Twitter, like we did this week. We want to hear yours. Yes, that was a very good theory. Very good. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840, or send email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at SaveThisCityPod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use. Okay, the end music is over, and as promised, uh, I have a little bit of Supergirl uh, from the CBS Network talk, because it is produced by the same showrunners as Flash and Arrow. I thought I would follow that somewhat loosely. Um, If you are not caught up with Supergirl to this point, then you might want to avoid this. Um, But uh, I've been pretty entertained by the two episodes so far, including The Pilot, with a teleplay by Ali Adler and directed by Glenn Winter. And uh, episode two, Stronger Together, written by Andrew Kreisberg and Allie Adler uh, and directed by Glenn Winter. So I guess I'll just go over each episode real quickly uh, with my own little thoughts. Um, My first thing that I just have to say about the pilot is I really fell in love with Melissa Benoist as Kara. To me, she was pretty much the perfect embodiment of this character and, and she was written as unsure and that's a great flip because she has chosen not to use her powers, even though she knows she has them. I also really love Callista Flockhart as this tough, strong, overzealous, powerful woman, Cat Grant, as well, in both episodes, actually. And I really enjoyed the introduction of a character that I'm not sure is in the comics or not. Like I said, I wish I had Donald here because... I don't know the comic books as well as uh, you folks do. You'll have to write me and let me know. But Alex Danvers, uh, played by uh, Shyler Lee, she was just really great in this episode as well. The, maybe the one complaint that I have is that right off the bat, so many people know her identity. Um, I'm sure that that's going to drive a couple of plots for Monster of the Week uh, a few eps down the line. But I, I wish she would have kept her secret just a little bit tighter. Um, I don't mind that James Olsen knows, uh, don't call him Jimmy evidently, but it's okay. He knows because he helps kind of seal Kara's path towards doing this whole thing. Anyway, the department of extra normal operations. I mean, I know that's from the comics, but is that like the stupidest name for an organization ever? Um, (laughs) I, David Harwood did a great job as this Hank Henshaw. Um, Don't know if they'll go the same way of his character as in the comics, but we'll see. And he's pretty much giving the same performance that he did in Homeland, uh, if you're familiar with that show, which I also cover on another podcast. Um, He he does that great. Um, And 
even throughout, he kind of adds a kind of a comedic element between these two episodes in some places. Um, it was a really nice twist to have Kara's sister Alex be part of this organization as well. Uh, and the hologram moment of Alara, that seemed, this might be another little tomato of mine, it just seemed a bit overacted and a little cheesy, but it did set things back in the right direction for Kara. So I'll just chalk it up to just this being a little clunky because it's a pilot. There's a heck of a lot of comic book references in the pilot as well. Probably lots more than we'll see in most of the episodes. But if you want a full list, uh, because not being a comic book reader myself, I don't have a whole lot of context. But I did look up at Den of Geek. Uh, a listing of the Supergirl TV show uh, comparisons with the comics, uh, little Easter eggs that they included, especially in the pilot. I'll leave that link in the show notes as well. And I guess the most remarkable thing is that they set up the long run, you know, the whole Phantom Zone landing of some villains from Fort Roz. Um, that's going to be used for, obviously, for various Monsters of the Week apps. Um, you have uh, Astra, who is Alora's twin sister. They're both being played by Laura Benanti, I think is how you say her name. She's great. Um, she plays the great um, guide for Kara as well as uh, the foe for Kara. Um, and I would have thought, you know, with the pilot, that this would have been a kind of a long, slow burn thing. Uh, but, of course, in the second episode... Um, it was uh, revealed uh, that they, they, they just brought Astra right up front, right in the beginning. Now, they with this whole new weapon thing, they might have to back her off a little bit, and she'll still be a slow burn. But the pilot itself, um, it's a pilot, so I kind of got to grade it as much. Um, no pilot is ever perfect. There's obviously a lot of setup. Um, I like that we got car into action and into the suit right away i know a lot of people felt that that was rushed i did not i don't think we need that i think we need to see Kara in the moment that she's in now and not drag things out forever like say like it would have been a in a smallville um and i think the suit looks great um you know it's not just melissa sporting it but i, I just think the suit in general looks really good and it was pretty much good for the most part some of the things in terms of Kara's back and forth um that seemed very pilot like you know a little bit rushed uh in terms of her deciding whether to actually go through with this or not but still as far as a pilot goes that's how I'm going to grade it I'm going to give it an eight as far as pilots go um if this were a third ep or you know a fourth ep then it would probably get a seven but since it is a pilot I'm going to give it an eight now as for stronger together uh, like I mentioned, I was not expecting an Astra Kara showdown so early. That was a great surprise. Uh, I thought that would be a long game thing, and I'm, you know, they would build it up. But I'm so glad they did this. Um, it made that this second episode really mean something to me. Uh, and uh, the Helgramites are are from the comics, although I think it was like some kind of human entomologist who somehow transformed into some kind of grasshopper thing in the uh, in the comics. Um, instead, we get like these aliens here that can uh, shift change. 
which is kind of an old played thing, but that's okay. Um, I, I actually like how not everyone from Fort Ross also, because this Helgramite does not seem to be totally all for working for serving Astra. Um, and I can't help but wonder if that isn't going to be helpful to Kara eventually. I like the exploration of Kara and Alex's relationship in this episode. They got a little deeper than they could last week. And I love how Alex really comes across as kind of the tough love for Kara. Um, yet she's been really working on Kara's own version of this fortress of solitude with a complete AI program the chemistry between these two actors, between Melissa and Shiler, is really good. And um, I hope that because of that, uh, when we get these kind of sister moments like we have in this episode, that um, it helps these characters grow. Uh, I think both of them uh, can help each other grow in different ways, too. Once the writers can kind of see that chemistry on screen, then they can write towards that as well. And I, I think that we're going to get that. Um, as the season goes on, uh, the whole S is the house of L symbol. Uh, and now we have a slogan to go with it stronger together. The motto was new on me. I, I know that in the movie universe, they have the S standing for the house, house of L. Um, uh, but the motto thing, I didn't know. I don't, and I don't know if that's something from the comics or not. So you'll have to let me know. Again, save the city podcast at gmail.com or tweet at save the city pod or call three one four six six nine one eight. Or zero, And, you know, I was wondering why Hank didn't just use those same kind of kryptonite darts that he used on Kara in the pilot. I mean, that you would think that would be standard issue just in case, you know, they needed to bring Kara down for some reason or another. Instead, we get this blade, which evidently isn't Kryptonian or kryptonite, I guess, um, because the way Astra analyzes it, it it's something that continues to, to be I mean surely they would be aware if it was from their home planet um, it did, but they seem to be discounting it as something else and of course the whole Hank uh, red eyes thing at the end of the episode that was great I know there's a lot of theories out there that he's the Martian Manhunter from the comics I don't really know who that is I think that they had him in a couple of episodes of Smallville but I don't want to make comparisons of this show to Smallville Smallville was its own thing um, done by different showrunners. It's it's a different telling of the Superman story as a kid. Um, and this is completely in the universe that Berlanti and, and Kreisberg are, are having a uh, their own play into it. Uh, and it seems like it's playing much more towards um, the movie DC stuff uh, in a certain way. So uh, I like that. Um, I don't want to make spend time making Smallville comparisons, but I do think the Martian Manhunter uh, was in a few uh, Smallville episodes. Maybe that's why people are coming up with that theory. Um, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, loved Cat Grant again in this episode. She's such a much better version of Perry White than even Perry White. And, and Callista Flockhart, she's just one of my favorites. She totally rocks my socks. And I love how they can make Cat and this is through Callista's performance and the writing, excellent writing by Allie Adler, uh, I think. Um, they make her tough and strong and bullheaded and ambitious. Um, and even though she comes across that way and that she's a slight kind of foe for Kara, she's definitely 
not a bitch in any way, shape, or form. She's just a strong woman, and I love that. I love that in so many ways. I would never even call a, a strong woman a bitch, but I think sometimes TV has a tendency to overplay that, and I love how Callista has already reined it in to just give you this really, really strong woman um, that is entertaining and funny and um, just you can't wait to see each week. So for this week, since I have to grade uh, Stronger Together on a regular episode level, um, I'm going to give it an 8.1 um, on the regular level because I, I definitely did like it better than the pilot, but I don't want to go too high yet because I, I want to leave some space for, for rating uh, future episodes higher. And, you know, for the most part, the effects have been good for the first two episodes. There's been a couple of maybe a little cheesy shots. Um, the Helgramite face change, that was awesome. Not so much with them scampering around on the walls. Um, but the effects are great um, for the kind of budget that I'm sure that CBS is allowing this show. We'll have to see if that continues, but definitely an 8.1 for this week. And again, if you have any thoughts about any of this stuff that I'm spouting off, feel free to contact me. 314-669-1840 is the listener line that you can leave a message on, or you can email the podcast, save this city podcast at gmail.com. Or you can, of course, hit me up on Twitter at Save This City Pod. Don't forget, savethiscity.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all of it, including the podcatcher links. And written reviews really help me out if you could take the time to leave one. Thanks. This is Matt. See ya.